That's James 1. I'm looking at verses 18 to 27. And that's 8, 9, 7 in your pew Bible this morning. James 1, verse 18. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and understanding of this, his most portion the important portion of Scripture, even for our hearts this morning. Let's bow our heads and hearts for prayer. Father, we come before you once again, blessed in knowing that you hear and answer our prayers according to your will. And so we pray, Father, this morning <coughs> to bless us in every way and to meet our needs for every heart and in the Lord has needs, as you know, Father, and you come to bless us with that precious blood that cleanses us from every sin. And so we confess our sins and know that we are free, as the Scripture says, to walk in the light as you are in the light and have fellowship one with the other. And so we come rejoicing this morning that you are with us in such a wonderful way. Bless us, Lord. Bless us with your word. Bless us with your spirit and your power and your person, for you know that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there are you in the midst. So, Father, numbers aren't important, but a heart that's praising you is important, so we come to praise you and lift our hearts and our minds to consider the greatness of our God and Jesus Christ, him who loved us and gave himself for us such a wonderful way, terrible for him on that cross, but wonderful for us, Lord. And we recognize that in every aspect of a Christian life, that Jesus came to bless us with his person and his power and to send us forth to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, every creation, that whosoever will can be saved. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that someone touched our hearts and led us to the Lord by your spirit and by your power. And so we come rejoicing this morning, knowing that you are with us to bless us even today. And into this new week, use us, Lord. Bless us in all the activities of a busy week, Lord. Let us remember you are with us to do us good. And so we praise you. And Father, we pray also 
for our pastors. He brings a message this morning. We pray, Father, for his health. We pray, Father, for your watch care over him in every way as you, as we pray for your board, Lord, that you brought into this church and we'll have a our new board probably in the next election. We thank you, Father, for our business meeting. We pray for it. We pray for everything about it. Just thank you, Father, that we have people who recognize the fact that we have to have a church relationship where we can grow in grace and a knowledge of you. So bless our hearts, bless our pastor, bless our deacons, bless each true heart who comes to church, not to gossip, but to take in the gospel of Jesus Christ in a wonderful way that teaches us to grow in strength in you. Bless those who are unwell, Father. Bless our church family in its needs. Bless our shut-ins, as we've already mentioned before. Meet their needs, Lord, where they are. We know many of them would desire to be here and cannot be here, but you are with them. Touch them, Lord, with your presence and your person. And touch us also, Father, and make us realize we're here to serve you in a wonderful way, and as you feed us, we can pray for our missionaries, for they have gone out from this place to serve you in the uttermost parts of the earth as you call us to do. And as we are here praying for them, we are part and parcel of their ministry, even as they are part and parcel of our ministry here. So bless our missionaries in a wonderful way. Bless them, Father. And more than that, Lord, touch the hearts of people around them that they hear that blessed word whereby many can be saved. And so we pray for the ministry of our missionaries today, for their health, their needs, their problems, their troubles, their trials, even as we pray for our own. Bless our camps, Father. Bless both ones. Bless them as they gear up, getting ready for the next year. Thank you for them, Father, and their leadership. And bless them where they are today. Bless our country, Lord. We know it has great needs right now, Father, as every country does. Bless it in such a way we recognize we're just servants of the Lord. And use our country for your glory. And teach us to support our leadership in much prayer, as you've called us to do. And bless our hearts that we're gathered here today to again hear your word and take it into a new week to tell others Jesus has come to save sinners. So bless us now, Lord. Bless our pastor. Use us for your glory, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to hymn number 320 in your hymn book. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that we are gathered here this morning in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we, we do a lot of things here on a Sunday morning, and all of which are worship. As we have sung, that's worship. As we pray, that's worship. As we attend to your word, that is also worship. Lord, as we fellowship after the service, that is also worship. So, Lord, we pray that you would cause worship to well up in our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to hear what you would say to us through your word this morning so that we might be able to worship you better. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to be focusing here this morning on uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. So let me just read that portion of Scripture for us again. 
reading from the ESV Bible. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Now, there's some things in life that come more easily than others. Eating ice cream, for example, comes very easy for me. I could sit there in a blizzard and eat a DQ blizzard without a problem. It takes discipline for me not to eat too much ice cream. And there's other people for whom it is easy to sleep in in the mornings. And it takes discipline for them to get out of bed. And there's other people who find it very easy to be critical of others. They have to discipline themselves to see others in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's a few things that all of us find easy to do and a few other things that all of us find hard to do at some point in our lives. How's your hearing? How's your hearing? We all find it difficult to hear sometimes. Either we don't like what's being said and we tune it out, or we find what is being said boring and we tune it out, or we don't care about the person who is speaking and we tune them out. So we all struggle to listen. We also find it easy sometimes to speak a rash word. We find it easy to speak without thinking, and we say something that's either embarrassing or something that is hurtful. We have a tendency to react to others, or we run off at the mouth, and we gossip about others, or we slander others. Also, all of us find it easy to get angry sometimes. Something happens that that pushes our buttons, and we react in the flesh. Now, it's going to be different for different people. The triggers are different, but sometimes we all get sinfully angry. So speaking rashly, getting sinfully angry, and not listening are all part of our fallen humanness. All of us, and even though most of us here are born-again Christians, we still struggle against the flesh. We still have to continue to crucify the flesh daily, and those are some key areas where we're going to struggle. But as we're going to find out this morning, speaking rashly and anger, and in fact, all sin is actually tied to your listening skills, or more specifically, what you listen to and what you don't. So James says to us this morning in verse 19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, know this. James told his readers then, and he reminds us 2,000 years later of some powerful, powerful truths. And just as they were to know those things then, so we are to know those things today. We need to know what James is telling us. James calls these people his brothers. And you need to remember here that the Greek word for, that's translated brothers is adelphoi, which is actually um, translated brothers and sisters. So, it's, so ladies, you have to listen too. It's everybody, brothers and sisters. James is addressing these people who claim to be Christians. They claim to be born again. 
But notice that they aren't just brothers, they're his beloved brothers. James loves these people earnestly, and he cares about their eternal welfare. Brothers and sisters, you are my beloved brothers and sisters, and I care for you, and I want you desperately to hear what God would say to us through his word this morning. So where does this word apply to your life? Do you need to do a better job of holding your tongue or containing your anger or of listening more carefully? Or maybe for some of us, and I'd say for all of us, some of the time, it's all the above. But again, we need to be careful here not to make the mistake of letting the subheading that's there in your Bible cause you to miss the link with verse 18. That's why I asked Pastor Gene to read verse 18 as well. It says, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So these are the same people who've been brought forth by the word of truth. These are the same people who have been born again by the word. And they have been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word. Now James is exhorting them to bear fruit in keeping with their regeneration. Like we read in Ephesians 4.1, that we are to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Now, I was actually just, uh, just studying that this morning with, with Jane on the, on the phone. We do, we do some Bible study together every morning. We're working through, Jane, through Ephesians, rather. So before I go any further, I really need to stress this. Ephesians 4, verse, verse 1. I therefore, this is Paul speaking, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If you looked at that verse on its own, that should terrify you. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What is the calling to which we have been called? The gospel call, the call of Jesus Christ to live a life that reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can any of us do that? Even for a moment? On our own? Can any of us do the things that James is exhorting us here to? To not speak rashly, to not get sinfully angry, and to listen carefully. We can't do that apart from God's grace working in us. So everything that I'm going to say to you this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you are not truly born again, if you do not have the Holy Spirit working in your heart, you can't do these things. You can't do it. And if you try to do it by your own works, you are just trampling on the blood of Christ. We need to rely totally on Him. So if we had Ephesians 4 in our Bibles, Ephesians 4, 1 in our Bibles, without Ephesians 2.10, we would be lost. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, we are Christ's workman, God's workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So brothers and sisters, we are God's workmanship. 
God is at work in us now. Jesus will finish what he started in us. We are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. For what? For the good works that God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. So every single good work that you will ever do has been ordained by God. God has empowered you to be able to do it. God has predestined that you will be able to do it because without him, you could never do it. So I want you to really to, to remember that everything that I'm going to say here this morning is based in that truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of God's sovereign work in the hearts of his children. So James here was assuming that these people are Christians. And I'm going to assume that most of the people here this morning are Christians. But just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we are exempt from warning. The warning passages in Scripture are there for us in order to keep us from falling. So we need to, on the one hand, see that the, the admonitions or the, the challenges that are, gonna, are presented in Scripture, like the ones that we're going to see here this morning, but they, again, they need to all be grounded in the gospel. Throughout Scripture, the warning passages keep us, are there to keep us from falling into sin. So in some cases, the Bible will tell us what we need to know, but quite often, the Bible tells us what we already know, but we need to act on what we already know. We need to be reminded of what we already know. Now, we should know this, but so often we don't. For example, a smoker might say, yes, I know that smoking causes cancer. But by the way that they live their lives, they don't really know that smoking causes cancer because if they knew that they were likely to get cancer because of smoking, they would quit. So they're saying the word I know, but they don't really know it. And so often the truths of Scripture are like that. We say that we know them, but by the way that we live our lives, we show that we don't really know them. And what James is doing for us here this morning is reminding us of what true religion looks like. And if you are practicing a false religion, if you are not truly born again, then you have a cancer that is far, far more deadly than any lung cancer because it's eternal death that we're talking about. True religion is going to be reflected in a truly religious life. And James wants to show us here what a truly religious life or a truly righteous life will look like. John does the same thing for us in, in 1 John. 1 John lays out a series of tests that show us whether we are truly born again. Now, of course, we're not always going to do the things that James talks about or that 1 John talks about, but is your life characterized by sin or is your life characterized by righteousness? And that's the question that I would like for each one of us to be asking ourselves this morning. John says in 1 John 2.21, 
I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So John was writing to the church to remind them that Jesus was coming in the flesh, or that had come in the flesh, even though they already knew it. Now, you've heard me say many, many times that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. It's not that we don't know the gospel. We know the gospel. Many of us could recite the gospel in our sleep. But we have to remind ourselves of gospel truths in order that those truths will take root in our hearts and bear fruit for God's glory. But there was another group that was addressed here by, by James that also desperately needed to hear what he had to say. They needed to be warned too, but their situation was far more grave. There would have been people in that church that professed to be Christians, but were not, in fact, born again. The same was the case for John's church, the church that, uh, the church that John wrote to. And the same is true for this church as well. There are people here this morning who profess Christianity, but by the fruit of their lives, they're demonstrating that they are not legitimately saved. Let me say this another way. What you say and how you act reveals whether you are indeed a Christian or whether you are not. Now James is going to deal with that issue quite directly in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. We'll be looking at that in a few weeks. But for our passage of this morning, first of all, James says to us, let every person be quick to hear. Let every person be quick to hear. We are all to be quick to hear, but slow to speak. So what does it mean here to be quick to hear? It means to be ready to listen. We talked about it earlier, it, it doesn't come naturally for us to be good listeners. We have to train ourselves, especially in this culture where there's so many different things bombarded at us all the time. We need to train ourselves to listen carefully to what we're hearing. So often we need to train ourselves because we have to tune out a lot of the things that the world is telling us because 99.9% of, of what the world tells us is a lie. And we need to be discerning. We need to know God's word so that we can measure what the world is telling us and we can reject the lies in favor of God's truth. You may have heard it said that God has given us two ears but only one mouth so we should listen twice as much as we speak. Because while your mouth is working, your ears aren't. While your mouth is working, your ears aren't. Now wives often complain that their husbands don't listen, and parents often complain that their children don't listen. And when I was a teacher, I used to complain that my students didn't listen. But everybody here, of course, listens very carefully to every word that I say, right? Okay, let's establish that. When I was a teacher, it was often the case when I was in the classroom that if I was trying to teach a difficult lesson, you'd have some boys in one corner of the classroom trying just to annoy each other. You'd have some girls in the other corner of the classroom whispering to each other. And then right up front, there would be a kid who, as soon as I started to teach the lesson, would shoot his hand up. Mr. Tucker, Mr. Tucker. And I would have to remind him. It was often the same kid. I'd have to... I'd have to um, remind him to save his comments 
and his questions to the end of the lesson because quite often I would answer those questions within the lesson and I have to say, listen carefully now, don't just think about what you're going to say because what would happen is if, if, if I didn't do that, he would just sit there just playing over his question in his mind and he would not listen to what the lesson had to teach him. So when it came time to do the work in the classroom, he invariably have questions. Questions that I probably already answered if he had actually had ears to hear what I was teaching. But as, as important as listening to your parents or your wife or your children or your teacher is, I believe James is talking about something far more important. I believe James here is speaking specifically about listening to God's word. Look here in this passage, the word word comes up here four times in just these few verses. Look at verse 18, God brought us forth by the word of truth. Verse 21, receive the implanted word. Verse 22, be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. Now, if you don't listen in the classroom, it may cost you a grade on your report card. If you don't listen to what the Bible says, it will cost you a lot more. James says it again there in verse 21, Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Satan knows the power of words. Satan is referred to as the father of lies. He even tried to use the word of God against Jesus by using half-truths. By using half-truths. He tries to whisper all kinds of lies to us. We need to be wise to his methods. Some of you here hopefully will have read John Bunyan's excellent book, The Holy War. John Bunyan, who also wrote Pilgrim's Progress, um, also wrote this book, which is an, which is an allegory. It's a, it's a novel that talks about the, the war by the, the forces of Diabolus, which is the devil, against the town of Mansoul. So the devil is assaulting the town of Mansoul. And the two weak points... In the soul, in the town of Mansoul, are the eye gate and particularly the ear gate. So the Diabolus puts most of his forces to attack against the ear gate because he knows that it's through the ear gate that his lies can enter into the heart. So we need to be very careful to guard the ear gate, that we don't listen to the wrong things and that we do listen to the right things. We need to listen to the Word of God. This is what, what Bunyan says. And first they made their forces more formidable against Eargate, for they knew that unless they could penetrate that, no good could be done to the town. After this gave out the word, which was, ye must be born again. So here we have the forces of the, of the prince, which is Christ, after the town had been taken, putting his assault also against the ear gate. And the message was the message of the gospel. You must be born again. So James tells us here not only to be, to be quick to hear, but we also need to be slow to speak. So not only do we have to open our ears, we have to close our mouths. Taken in the broader sense, we should keep our ears open and our mouth closed, and it is a mark of wisdom to be quiet and to listen. 
Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Now, the, the, the link between many words and foolishness is there throughout Proverbs. It's there also in 13.3. In, uh, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. And when we looked at it on Friday night at our family night, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Jesus said in, in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words will be condemned. Have you thought about that? Every single word we speak will be brought into judgment. I hope and pray that we're resting in the righteousness of Christ and not our own righteousness on that day. James devotes all of chapter 3 to the tongue. He says in verses 10 to 12, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. So does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So the fruit of the lips reveals what is going on in the hearts. And what James is saying there is that if you are a Christian, your words will reflect that. If you claim to be a Christian, but you are not loving in your words then you are not a Christian. Let's go back to my classroom again. Often when I had a, had a lesson to teach, at the end of the lesson, I'd ask kids if they have any questions, including that little boy who would sit up in the front. And there was a, another kid who would eagerly throw his hand up. And he would inevitably launch into a story about his Aunt Bessie and her parakeet or something equally irrelevant. And what had happened there was that he was thinking about, he wasn't thinking at all about what I had to say. He was thinking about a story that he had wanted to share. And then so I'd have to explain the difference between a story and a question. And a question is when you want to know something, and a story is you want somebody else to know something that, that you know. But we act so often like that with God, don't we? We often let our story, the things that we want to say, tune out what God would say to us through his word. We don't listen to God's story because we're focused on our story. When you're doing that with another person, you are saying that you really don't care enough about that person in order to listen to what they're saying. You not, might not be saying that with your words, but that's really what's happening in your heart, that you are more concerned about what you want to say than what they want to say. So you don't listen. And that's equally true with God. If you are not listening to what God has to say, then you are saying that you don't care about God. Maybe you feel like you are on center stage and that everybody else is just a bit player in your life. And we all feel like that sometimes, don't we? As if everybody else is just an extra. And I'm the main event. I'm on center stage. 
I'm the center of my own universe. Now, when it comes to not listening to others, it's sinful and it's rude. But when it comes to not listening to God, it's rebellion against the authority of the universe. The human heart, beloved, is an idol factory. We're constantly churning out idols, all the things that I want in our lives. Whenever you, you don't listen to God's word and supplant him, you're creating an idol in your heart. Whenever you don't listen to what God's word says about you, you are also worshiping an idol in your heart. Any of those things that you either are willing to sin in order to get, or those things that you sin when you don't get, are your idols. And some of those can even be legitimate things. But if you sin when you don't get them, it's an idol. And the way that you kill idols, the way that you smash idols in your heart is by the Word of God. It's by listening to the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. That is how you smash idols in your heart. It is only through God's Word in the power of His Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5, we read, The weapons of a warfare are not carnal, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So the weapon of our warfare is the Word of God. Now, if I'm correct here in my understanding that James is actually talking specifically, specifically about hearing or listening to the Word of God, then to be consistent, we should likewise be slow to speak the Word of God. Now, you might be wondering here, well, hang on a second, shouldn't God's Word always be ready on our lips to speak? It should. But so often we can be 100% right in our assessment of a situation, but 100% wrong in the way that we deal that with that situation because we are too quick to launch in with the Word. And I know that there have been times that I've done that in my life when, when I've had friends in sin and I've gone to them to confront them with an issue. I didn't seek wisdom. I didn't pray enough for them. I would just go and and almost attack them with God's word. And I was 100% right in those situations with what I was seeing, but 100% wrong in the way that I was dealing with it. We need to be so careful to be slow to speak. I believe that, uh, that what um, James has in mind here when, he's, when he, he's talking about this is Ecclesiastes 5 verses 1 to 3 where Solomon says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God, draw near to listen, sorry, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice comes with many words." So, of course, we are not here in the temple. Christians, we are the body of Christ. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But I believe the, the principle still applies that we should be careful 
careful, circumspect when we're speaking of holy things. Careful when we speak the word of God. Because the, the, the sword of the Spirit is a dangerous weapon. Now, I don't want to go into a lot of detail about this now because James is going to talk about it specifically in, in James 3.1. But he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Paul had a strong indictment of the Jews in Romans 2. Um, 17 to 24, where we talked about those who call themselves Jews and delight in being a quote-unquote teacher of the law, but they were not doing the works of the law. So they were supposedly teaching the law, but not doing it. And we, we studied that in depth uh, several weeks ago at our Bible study. There's a saying there that says that, that those who, who can't do, teach. I've got lots of teaching illustrations here this morning, but when I was a phys ed teacher... I could teach my students the proper mechanics of a high jump, but I am horrible at jumping. I had primary school students that could jump higher than me, short primary school students that could jump higher than me. But Paul was talking about something far, far more serious than athletics here. He was talking about hypocrisy from those who would teach. And we see that quite a bit in our culture today. When I was doing research for that, that Bible study lesson, I actually found a Wikipedia site that was called um, Scandals Evolving, Involving Evangelicals. Can you imagine that? Scandals Involving Evangelicals. And you'd probably know some of the names that were brought up there. Jimmy Swaggart, Ted Haggard, Jim Baker. Men who were infamous for their immorality. And I'll tell you something, it, this, this scares me. And I, and I covet your prayers that I would stand firm to the end. Because so many men who have started out in the pulpit have made shipwreck of their souls and destroyed ministries through their sin. Paul says that we are all to take heed, any man who stands Take heed lest ye fall. I need your prayers that I would stand firm to the end, that I wouldn't fall. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.27, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. But this warning here is not just for pastors. This warning here is for everybody. It's for all of us who claim to know Jesus Christ. Because we all teach others sometimes, don't we? All of us. Every time you open your mouth and speak God's word, you are teaching. And some of us have very clear teaching roles. If you are a father, you are responsible for the spiritual development of your family. You are a pastor of your own church. Both parents are responsible for teaching their children. And all of us are responsible to speak God's word into each other's lives. So all of us sometimes are called to teach. But we need to be careful not to do it rashly. We need to be prayerful. 
We need to be loving. Because like I said, we can be 100% right, but 100% wrong in our approach. We have to check our hearts before we open our mouths. Jesus warned in Matthew 7, 3-5, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So if you can't go to somebody who's in sin humbly and gently, don't go. Because your sin is equally bad, if not worse than theirs. So deal with it in your heart and then go in love. You've heard me quote 2 Timothy 2.24 and following quite a bit. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So our responsibility here is to be able to teach to patiently endure evil, to correct opponents with gentleness, realizing that we can't make anybody repent. Repentance is a gift from God. It is what the Holy Spirit does in the person's heart because it says God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. It goes on that they may recover themselves from the snare of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. If you see that somebody is in sin, is not really your enemy. Ultimately, they are God's enemy. And ultimately, this person is in bondage because of their sin and has been ensnared by the trap of the devil. If you see people in that light, it enables you to be compassionate towards them. And if you also keep in mind the grace that God has poured out on you, then you would be eager to pour out that grace on others and to see that it is your responsibility as their brother and sister in Christ to go to them, but to go to them in love, thinking about the best way that you can approach them so that they can hear and that by God's grace they will repent and turn away from that sin. But next, James tells us to be slow to anger. He says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Proverbs 17:14 says the beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. So we think about it being like a dam, and first you see a few little cracks in the dam and then the water starts to trickle forth and all of a sudden the the dam breaks loose and the town below is inundated with the flood. That's what anger is like. So you need to learn the symptoms of unrighteous anger in your own heart and walk away and go and pray to the Lord. Begin to see it. Begin to see it and learn. Be a student of your own behavior. Be aware of the things that serve as triggers for your anger. So that even before you start to feel it, you know, oh, this is one of those situations that I would react to. And ask the Lord to do a work in your heart that you may be freed from unrighteous anger. Another one that we looked at in Proverbs on Friday night was 29.11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. It's so easy to get angry with other people, isn't it? 
it's, it's even easier to get angry with people when they sin. But it's especially easy to get angry with people when they sin against us. So, so often, when we respond to others who are in sin, we do so sinfully. So often, when we see sinful behavior, behavior that is inflicted on us, we, we react rather than respond. We want to be judge, jury, and executioner. Now, I'm not saying here that all anger is wrong. Paul said in Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. He says, but give no place to the devil. It's okay to get angry. It's okay to get angry. But the question is, why do you get angry? And how do you get angry? God gets angry. God gets very angry. One day, everyone who is an unrepented sinner will face the full fury of God. The entire wrath of God poured out on unrepentant sinners. Jesus got angry, very angry. But Jesus never lost his temper. God never loses his cool. When God gets angry, it is always calculated. It is always in perfect measure, in perfect time. And it is designed to produce an effect. So when you think of Jesus getting angry, what's the first thing that comes to mind? The, the temple, right? When he, when, he, when he cast out the money changes with a whip. So let's just have a look at that incident for a moment. In, uh, in John chapter 2, he actually did this twice. He did this at the beginning of his ministry, and he did it again at the end of his ministry. But in, in John chapter 2, the first time he did it, in verses 13 to 17... So this was at the time of the Passover. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a temple of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. He overturned the tables. He poured out the coins of the money changers. And he told those who, were, who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered what was written. Zeal for your house will consume me. So Jesus didn't all of a sudden see what happened there and lash out. Look at this here um, in, in verse 15. He made a whip of cords. He sat down and fashioned a whip. This is not somebody who lost his cool. This is somebody who was intentional in his anger. One day, people are going to call out for the rocks to fall and to hide them from the, the wrath of the Lamb, from the wrath of Jesus Christ. It won't be gentle Jesus, meek and mild. It will be the wrath of the Lamb. But again, it will be calculated. It will be anger for a specific purpose. But I need to ask you this. When somebody sins against you, what is it that concerns you? Are you more concerned with your honor or with the Lord's honor? Are you looking for mercy or are you looking for justice? 
Are you more concerned that that person is sinning against God? Or are you more concerned that that person is sinning against you? Be honest here. Out of the last 10 times that you got angry, was it righteous anger? Was it angry because zeal for God's house consumed you? Or was it anger because zeal for your house consumed you? Were you more concerned about God's kingdom? Or were you more concerned about your kingdom? Now maybe what makes you angry is different from the person that's sitting next to you, but what makes you angry? For some people, it's traffic. For others, it's noisy kids or a lazy husband or a nagging wife or interruptions or inconsiderate church members or maybe it's all the above. But in all of these circumstances, when your anger bubbles to the surface, it's exposing what was going on in your heart. Now, I've told this story before, but, but many years ago, I was a, I was a brand new believer uh, living in Australia and I was out for a bike ride with a bunch of friends. And uh, we're, we're biking along, and there was a girl in front of me uh, that I was right close to her, very close to her back wheel. She was a friend of mine, and, and I didn't realize that somebody had opened their car door, and she swerved around it, and I just missed it by a hair's breadth. And we were going along pretty quickly. It would have really hurt if I'd have hit that car door. And so I yelled at the person who opened the door, and then realized that it was actually the pastor from my church. And so, needless to say, I was very embarrassed. This was, this was God's providence. This was a good opportunity for me to deal with sin in my heart. But then I went and, and talked to him about it afterwards. But, but what makes you angry? What makes you angry? In my case there, it was because I thought that everybody should be ultra careful, and they should, but I thought that I should be able to ride along unimpeded. I was concerned about myself. I, was, I didn't, at that moment, care a whit about God or His glory. I was cared about, caring about me. But by God's grace, God did do a work in my heart there. And then fast forward to just a couple of years ago when I was in Louisville, and Somebody, I was I'd just coming off a hill and I was riding my bike really fast and somebody opened the door of a van and this time I didn't miss it. This time I sailed into the door and it, it really hurt. It actually knocked, I went flying into the middle of the street and I was winded and, and I was, I mean, I had, I still have a scar on my shoulder from it. But this time I didn't respond in anger. This time the, the guy was so upset, he was almost crying. And he, he, felt, he felt so bad, but, but I looked at it as an opportunity to evangelize him. I told him, I said, look, if I died here, I know where I'm going. But it was a completely different response. Is that because of me? No, it's because of God's work in my heart. It's because of the truths of the gospel. So if you get angry in traffic... It's an idol. It's, it's saying that everybody should get out of the way so that you can just proceed unimpeded on your road that you paid for with your tax dollars. Or maybe it's noisy kids. Your idol there is peace and quiet, that your house should be quiet when you want it to be quiet. Or if it's a lazy husband, it's because you think that your husband should be doing what you want him to do when he should do it. 
Or if it's a nagging wife, your idol is the freedom that you, that you think you deserve in order to be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. Or if it's interruptions, you, you are saying there that your idol is that people should respect you. Do you get the point? Whose kingdom are you trying to build, yours or God's? But there's a right way to get angry, and there's a wrong way to get angry. There are right things to get angry about, and there's wrong things to get angry about. You know what? When you get angry, when you get righteously angry, you might even raise your voice. Jesus raised his voice. He called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs and sepulchers. Do you think he was sitting there with a, with a saccharine smile on his face when he said that? He was angry. But again, is your anger out of love? Is your anger out of love for God and for the other person? Or is your anger out of love for yourself? Are you seeking God's glory and the good of the person that you're speaking to? Or are you seeking your glory? Paul said in Ephesians 4.15 that it's not just speaking the truth, it's speaking the truth in love. So what do you do when you get angry? Do you lash out and do you say something hurtful? I'm sure each one of us have done it. Probably most of us have done it sometime in the past couple of weeks. But after you've calmed down, do you go to the person and say, sorry, I didn't mean that. You know, if you're saying, sorry, I didn't mean that, you're also not really being honest. Because you know what? You did mean that. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So your anger is an opportunity. When that anger comes out of you, God is allowing that to come out to expose the sin that is in your heart. You need to deal with it with a heart of repentance. And don't just say sorry to the person. Sorry doesn't cut it. You need to ask forgiveness from God and you need to ask forgiveness from that person. Trusting that God it's faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So think about that. When you get angry, when you get angry, see it as an opportunity. That, that It's an idol that's there. Deal with it before the Lord. And then finally to conclude, James says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So failure to listen to God's word, failure to control your tongue, and failure to, to control your anger will take you deeper into sin and will drive you further away from God. It will cause a root of bitterness to spring up amongst you, and many, many will be defiled. We need to fight diligently against this. Each one of us needs to kill anger where it lives, in our hearts. Again, the best way to fight is to listen to God's word, to hide his truth in your heart that you might not sin against him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we all stumble in many ways. And I trust that by your spirit that you have reminded each one of us of ways that we have stumbled with our words, 
Lord speaking rashly or not listening carefully or getting sinfully angry. I pray, Lord, that you would do a work of repentance in our hearts. Lord, that you will help us to remember gospel truths and live in the light of those truths. Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek your forgiveness and the forgiveness of those that we have wronged. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in us that would change us, sanctify us as we are predestined to be sanctified and to be made more and more like Jesus every day. For we ask all of these things by your grace and for your glory. Amen.